0: our whole premise in this series is that religion is always about making yourself look good it's about self-righteousness and in the process religion has a way of dumbing God down and dumbing the things that God says down so that we can feel better about ourselves so uh, though there are aspects of being religious where it's a real positive way we're using The word religious is something we don't want to be as a church. We want to be in a deep relationship with God and a deep relationship with one another. And today I want to point you to a passage of scripture where Jesus gets asked about his opinion about marriage and divorce. And in the process gives some powerful lessons that I think we all will want to follow. So I want you to listen to this encounter that Jesus had with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were always pushing Jesus towards obeying religious law. And Jesus had come by the power of the Father with the power of the Spirit in his life, the Son of God, and he brings this upside-down kind of kingdom that is new and invigorating and that can only work when we think about things in different ways. So follow as I read to you Matthew 19 verses 1 to 12. Said when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. There were miracles taking place. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked it Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? I'll explain that to you in just a minute. And Jesus replies, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator, he doesn't say the father, he doesn't say God almighty. He uses the word creator, referring to that God is the creator of all things. That the beginning, the creator made them male and female." And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You know that, interestingly, that statement is made in the book of Genesis on Jesus's lips and then on the lips of the apostle Paul the Pharisees come back at him. And in verse 7, they say, why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way at the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And again, I'll explain that in just a second. The disciples said to him, and this is an interesting statement. It's the disciples, not the Pharisees. If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. And Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word but only those to whom it's been given. In other words, to say, well, I'll never get married. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Okay, well, let's dive in by looking at this passage by thinking about three statements that all appear up on the screen that, to me, summarize the application of this encounter that Jesus had with the Pharisees. The first one is this. In your life, avoid rules. Instead, live by principles. Avoid, at all costs, uh, rules that make you look good and make other people look bad. See, the Pharisees had invented all these rules that allowed them to divorce their wives for any and every reason. Bad meatloaf, you're out of here. Um, found a prettier woman, you're out of here. Um, you, you, uh, you snore at night, you're out of here. And they made these rules, and you know what it did? Every other Pharisee, every other religious leader would go, you're perfectly right to divorce her for that. I divorced my wife for that. It was perfectly legitimate for any and every reason for a man to divorce his wife. And not so with women. There really was no provision for women to divorce their husbands. So how do you think that made women feel? Marriage was an institution where they lived in utter fear that for any time, at any reason, they could be divorced and their husband would look like the pillar of righteousness in the community. See, the Pharisees had taken the truth of God and perverted it by all these crazy rules that they had come up with. So Jesus, in so many words, uh, says, your made-up rules negate the meaning God intended for marriage. And then Jesus nails the Pharisees and the teachers of the law when he said, anyone who divorces except for sexual immorality commits adultery. Now, adultery is one of the Uh, 10 sins listed or the 10 issues in the uh, uh, Great Commands. So it's a big deal to commit adultery. Even in our day and age, it's a big deal to commit adultery. And adultery is something that that they didn't want to join in in any kind of way. And by doing that, the Pharisees realized Jesus is calling us unrighteous. Jesus is saying that we're a sinner. Now, you need to go back a little bit further in Matthew 5, 26 and 27, and realize that the way Jesus sees life, he doesn't see like a scale. Well, here's a really bad sin. Here's a pretty good sin. And there's sins that are in the middle. He goes, all sin is a sign that there's a disease inside your life. And the real issue is dealing with that disease. So his goal often was just to convince people that they were sinners, and because of that, they needed the disease of sin dealt with in their life. So back in Matthew 25, 26, and 27, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says the famous words where he goes, if you ever lust at a woman, it's like you've committed adultery with that woman in your heart. So, you know, I, when I'm ever with a group of men, I go, any of you ever lust after another woman? You know, I've yet to be in a group where every hand doesn't go up. And, uh, and okay, we're all adulterers, according to Jesus. And what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees is we all have that heart of adultery in us. The point is, instead of making up rules that would make you look okay, instead of making up rules that would make you feel justified, instead of making up rules that make you look self-righteous, humbly admit that sin is a part of your life and turn to Jesus and receive the grace that comes from him and the forgiveness that comes from him. Don't devise rules that somehow justify what God says is wrong. Give it up for Lent. Give it up for life. Give up on self-righteousness. Now you can see from Jesus' disciples that they knew he was raising the stakes on marriage. Verse 10, it says, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. You know, I think they were saying that hoping that somehow he would give them some out, some easier way. But Jesus doesn't dumb it down. Jesus will not dumb marriage down for the Pharisees or for the disciples. Instead, he pushes back and brings up God's ideal for marriage. And that brings me to that Second big idea I want to share with you, and I phrase it this way. Aim for the ideal in your marriage by praying for the ideal. Don't dumb the Bible. Don't dumb God. And don't dumb marriage down. See, Maybe no one ever told you what a Christian marriage was to be. A biblical Christian marriage. In a biblical Christian marriage, you believe that you are joined by God as a couple in every way so that you would best reflect God's love to everyone else. You sacrificially serve your wife or husband as a servant, finding joy in your ability to love and serve your spouse in extraordinary ways. Anything that your spouse does in return is just bonus. You know, this is what can keep couples together that go through extraordinarily hard circumstances and issues. One of my early mentors was a man named Elmer Johnson. And uh, when his wife was expecting their third child um, the child died in childbirth. And it spiraled in her life into this horrible depression where she really never recovered from that and would spend, uh, you know, weeks at a time in, in, in her bedroom or and, and was just re- reduced from to much of a shell of what she formerly was. And I remember being with Elmer one time and I just said, you know, um, It's amazing all you've accomplished, particularly when you've been married to Judy. And I never saw Elmer mad, but he looked at me with the fire in his eyes. And he said, you have no idea what my marriage means to me. You have no idea what I experienced with my wife. Sure, she is not not what she once was and will never be. Uh, fully healthy, unless God does a miracle. But there is so much that I receive from being married to her. Don't ever say anything like that again. It just put me in my place. See, the real joy of marriage, from a biblical point of view, comes when you sacrificially serve your spouse with everything you've got and you find a joy that comes from the Spirit in the process. Now, when two people do that together, it's utterly amazing. A good friend of mine, Bill McCaskill, uh, was a large animal veterinarian. He helped us start two churches in, in Wisconsin and then became a large animal veterinarian pastor. About uh, three years ago, we were having lunch with uh, Bill and Kathy, and we were there to meet with them about some really hard news that they had gotten. Kathy got ALS. And we talked, we prayed, and as we were leaving, Bill looked at me and he said, you know, God called me to be a veterinarian and I tried to be a really good large animal veterinarian. And then God called me to be a veterinarian and a pastor and I tried to be really good at both of that. But before God ever called me to be either of those things, he called me to be joined together with Kathy. And he said, by God, I'm gonna be the best caretaker that anyone has ever seen. And Bill was. Kathy died about four months ago. But she died in utter love, in the beauty of marriage, in a triumph of God's grace and God's power that was just utterly amazing. Notice in this passage, God does the joining. Notice in this passage, it's God's will and purpose from creation on. This is marriage. You know, we've dumbed the word down so much. You know, I, sometimes I'll tell couples, it's a sacred union. You know, yet we're gonna have the prayer team available at the end. Has anyone ever prayed over your marriage that it was a sacred union and prayed that you would have the power to sacrificially serve your spouse no matter what? Well, take advantage of that. Experience that today. Enter into that and and see what God intends for marriage. Don't dumb it down. You know, it's interesting. There's been a 60% drop in marriage over the last 40 years. In other words, most people aren't getting married. And sociologists are asking why? Well, I think one of the biggest reasons is our culture has dumbed down God's ideal. What God calls marriage, what God calls a sacred union, what God created because God created it, he ought to get to define it. Now, sometimes when you want to understand an idea, it's helpful to look at what it's not. So let me tell you real clearly from the Bible what God's ideal is not. It's not premarital sex, it's not polygamy, it's not living together, it's not redefining gender, it's not same-sex marriage, it's not open marriage, it's not desertion, it's not divorce, it's not polyamorous relationships or any other fad our culture comes up with. All of that is an attempt... To dumb down what God has said is true and right and beautiful. See, marriage is about way more than our personal happiness. Marriage is about way more than just our satisfaction. Marriage can be something that deeply shows God's love and God's love in particular for the church. Uh, Marriage lived out for God and before God can release power and impact and and make a difference. Now, if you find yourself on that list of what I just said isn't ideal, just realize all of us, every one of us doesn't live up to God's ideal. If we're married, we surely don't live up to it in terms of sacrificial service and servanthood. You know, if you were to say, Paul, Do do you ever live up to God's ideal of sacrificially serving Darla with all that you've got? I'd go, no way. So I'm on that list too. But that doesn't give me the right to redefine marriage. That doesn't give give me the right to say it's something different. See, marriage, sacred union belongs to God. You're entering into something that God does, that God is about. What it causes me to do is go, I'm not living what's ideal. God, I repent, I seek forgiveness. It makes me humble because everyone's in the same spot. It makes me less judgmental because everyone struggles in one way or another. And it causes me to seek transformation. Here's what I've learned in the Bible and in marriage. The only way that you're going to end up seeking a marriage that is a true sacred union and aim for God's ideal is by prayer. You know, all the studies say couples that pray together have a much higher rate of staying together. That's why I want to encourage you to get prayed for before you leave this place today. See, um, going to a seminar is real helpful. Uh, reading a book is real helpful. Uh Uh, A a blog, podcast, or something like that can be helpful. Going to a counselor can be helpful. But in a lot of ways, all of those are on a horizontal level. What will lift your eyes to see what God intends for marriage is when you turn to God about your marriage in prayer. This type of marriage requires a miracle. And every day and throughout the day kind of miracle if I'm going to enjoy sacrificial service and love. And that best happens when you pray about your marriage. Now, I want to tell you this definition of marriage, this way of marriage will never be supported by our culture. In fact, you're likely to be ridiculed about it. It will never be fair. It will never be equal. It will never be easy but it always will be right and true and beautiful and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and most importantly, it will honor God. You'll never achieve a marriage where you live up perfectly to God's ideal. So you'll always be apologizing to your spouse. You'll always be saying you're sorry to God, but gradually, And progressively, you will come to reflect more and more of what God has created in the sacred union of marriage. So for Lent, give up dumbing God down. Give up dumbing marriage down. Give give up uh, dumbing something that God has created and in its place. Pray that you will aim for God's ideal. Now, as I said, the ideal the side of heaven never happens. So we've got to hold on to God's ideal. Kind of with one hand, hold on to God's ideal. And then with the other hand, deal with all the less than ideal living that all of us know about. And that leads me to my third and last statement. When it comes to divorce and everything else that isn't God's ideal, offer compassion, the opportunity for healing, and confession, and words of forgiveness. No one hits the ideal. So what are we to do? We're to acknowledge we don't receive forgiveness and healing. The church should be the most compassionate and loving place in all of the world. We ought to be the people that are least judgmental. There's nothing in the Bible that says we ought to judge people or condemn people. Well we can come across as judgmental and self-righteousness. And, and you know, when, when someone's down, when someone's going through a difficult time, do, do you ever think they need someone to point a finger at them and point it out? No, you, you need someone who comes alongside them and loves them and helps them up and and points them back to God and helps them pick up the pieces. That's our charge for everybody, with whatever they're facing, to show compassion and love. Scott McKnight says love is a rugged commitment to be with, for, and onto another person. We ought to meet people with compassion and love and forgiveness and healing, aiming for what's ideal, but all the time offering love, compassion, forgiveness, and grace to anyone willing to seek after Jesus. So what if today the Highlands was a church that said, we're going to give up on being self-righteous. We're going to give up on uh, being uh, judgmental. But at the same time said, we're going to give up on dumbing God down. We're going to give up on dumbing what God says down. And we're going to have the faith-filled audacity to aim for God's ideal. Like I said, I only find that that happens when you pray. So as we stand in a moment and sing songs of praise to God, the prayer team will be along the side wall. You'll see them. They'll have lanyards on. And I'd encourage you to just go over there and ask them to pray. Ask them to pray about whatever you need prayer about. You know, one of the things would be just say, would you pray and bless my marriage? And if you're one of those prayer people, just pray for that, those people that come to you, whether it's a single, whether one part of a marriage or both, both people, pray that they would experience the sacred union that only God can do through the power of the Holy Spirit and that God would lift their eyes to all that he wants to do in their relationship. Maybe you've got a hurt. Maybe you've got something that's been less than ideal. And you just, you don't even need to name it there. If you can if you want, but you know, just... Just would you pray that I would experience in depth the forgiveness of God and that I would seek to follow God and do it in God's way. Let this be a time where there are breakthroughs. Let this be a time where there's healing. Let this be a time where there's hope. Will you stand? I'm going to do a quick prayer, and then we're going to go into worship father son holy spirit we pray now that you would have the freedom in our lives to work that many people here would take advantage of the opportunity to be prayed over and prayed for and that many people that are here would see breakthroughs would see hope would see a a newness to their life lord we're all equally sinners none of us measure up to your ideal but we're not going to dumb down what you say instead we're going to pursue all that you say by your power and we're going to trust you to do miracles in our lives in our marriages in our church and that this church the highlands would end up being a beacon of light that declares who you are, declares your love, declares your forgiveness, declares your truth in all ways. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.